Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and this is Write Medicine, a weekly podcast that explores best practices in creating content that connects with and educates health professionals. I'm a former nurse and an academic who spent the last 16 years as an independent medical writer and researcher, creating and evaluating education content for health professionals. If your work involves planning, designing, delivering or evaluating education for health professionals, this podcast is for you. I just want to jump in here before we kick off our episode today. Ben Riggs, who you might remember was on the podcast in episode 41, is our guest in Right CME Pro on June the 21st. Ben's going to be helping us think about how to focus our writing. This event is free if you're a member of Write CME Pro. And if you're not a member and would like to be part of this event, you can either join for a special three-month purchase or purchase a standalone ticket for the event. Details are in the show notes, on my website, and below the video if you're watching on YouTube. Hello and welcome. This is Write Medicine and I'm your host, Alex Housen. Whether you're an education provider working with a distributed team or a freelance writer working with multiple clients, connecting with your colleagues, peers, and clients is key. We talked about connection earlier this year on the podcast when Crystal Heron shared her insights on conscious communication in content creation. Today, I'm taking a deeper dive into connection to explore why it's important in CME and to offer some different ways to foster connection. One of my favorite quotes on connection is from E.M. Forster's novel, Howard's End. The protagonist, Margaret Wilcox, says, only connect. That was the whole of her sermon. Only connect the prose and the passion, and both will be exalted, and human love will be seen at its height. Live in fragments no longer. It's said that these words reflect Forster's own interest in connection as a way to bridge differences and mitigate prejudicial thinking. Only connect. Two short, powerful words. A few years ago, I went to a gig that one of my favourite actors and singers, Alan Cumming, did in Seattle, and he talked about why he had a tattoo of the words only connect on his forearm. He said he'd tattooed these words only connect as a way to remind himself not to feel superior or separate from other people, whether audiences or friends or acquaintances. And side note, I love Alan Cumming. I first saw him at Glasgow Mayfest in the early 1980s when he and Forbes Mason had just started their Victor and Barry tour, or Victor and Barry as they pronounced it. Absolutely hilarious. But more seriously, it's easy to feel separate from others, to feel disconnected, to feel a little superior, because our egos get in the way all the time. But in the context of creating education content for health professionals, whether we're designers or strategists or writers, when ego gets in the way, when we're disconnected from each other, from learners, from the content, it's hard for us to have empathy for the learner. And when we don't have empathy, the content we create won't connect. And if the content doesn't connect with the learner, the health professional, they're not going to feel supported in their work 
And they're certainly not going to be open to receiving and acting on the learning that the content serves. So how can we make sure that connection is core to our practices as CME professionals, regardless of our roles and responsibilities? Here are some of my recommended practices for fostering connection with peers, colleagues, and clients, as well as with content. First, focus on relationship building. Whether you're an education provider, supporter, or writer, there's a payoff to consciously creating connections with your clients and stakeholders. It's easy to fall into a rhythm of creating CME content as a transactional practice. But the exchange of time, expertise, and money without connection won't generate quality content. For that, you need connection. Because connection sparks innovative ideas, encourages knowledge exchange, and supports collaboration and reciprocity. How can you foster connection as a way to build relationships? Start by giving. Offer your expertise and support to your colleagues. Share resources, provide feedback, and mentor others when possible. We've talked about mentoring before on the podcast with Griselda Butler, who talked about the importance and the value and the benefits to both mentees and mentors of being in a mentoring relationship. And the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions runs a formal mentoring program. I think the window for applications closed earlier in May, but I'll put a note in the or a link in the show notes for future reference. And so I'm curious, what are some of the ways that you're fostering connection with your peers, colleagues, or clients? If you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, let me know your thoughts in the poll. Or if you're on another platform, go to my LinkedIn page and answer the question there. And if you're watching on YouTube, let me know in the comments. Okay, here's a second idea. Cultivate empathy in your planning, designing, and writing. We all know that health professionals are extremely busy and their in-the-moment learning capacity is affected by many factors like specialty, proficiency level, and workplace setting. Our goal in CME is to help learners process, synthesize, and apply new information effectively in the relevant context. And we can do that by applying empathy to content creation. And what do I mean by that? Well, first, create content in multiple formats and provide access to that content in multiple ways. In episode 20 of Write Medicine, Alison Kickle talked about the value of diversifying content format. So for instance, if the primary format is a podcast, include a transcript for people who don't want to listen to the audio. And by the way, we do this for Right Medicine so that you can listen to audio on the go on your favorite platform, watch on YouTube, or read the show notes and transcript. And Karen Roy and Babel Shah also talk about the power of offering content in different formats formats in episode 31, for instance, by translating text into infographic images. But empathy isn't just about creating or offering content in different formats. Empathy is at the heart of the learning experience and fosters connection by being inclusive. And in fact, there's growing research on the importance of empathy as a guiding principle in adult learning. So that's the first way of thinking about empathy. 
The second way is to identify the factors that could be motivating learners to participate in your education activity and use these motivation factors to help learners connect with the content. Self-determination theory can be a helpful framework here. Self-determination theory emphasizes that adult learners are driven by a need to be autonomous and competent and to feel a sense of relatedness to what they're learning as well as to the people they're learning with. Powerful learning experiences, whether live or online, are designed to help learners feel that they can work in a way that feels good for them, that's autonomous, and that they can accomplish the education activity tasks, that they are competent, and that encourages personal connections. Relatedness. So offer choices in the activity and in the content itself and make sure the expectations for learners and any text-based materials are succinct and clear. So here's my third tip. Cultivate an audience mindset. It's really easy to lose track of the audience for whom you're creating content. And sometimes you might not even know that much about your audiences beyond their specialty, their designation or their workplace setting. And how many of us really invest in more thorough investigation of learner audiences by describing their roles and responsibilities and the challenges they face or even creating personas for our learners? So here's a couple of suggestions for a deeper than usual audience analysis. Explore additional demographics for your target audience, like their roles, their responsibilities and their typical workflow. Workflow is often a major friction point and worth having some background on. Recognize context. Find a window that lets you peek into the background challenges and trends that form the context of clinical care and learning for your audience. And solicit perspective. Reach out to learners to understand more about their daily tasks, their challenges, their motivations, their mindset, and their professional goals. Open-ended questions are a really good fit here because you can generate a lot of contextual information from a series of five to eight focused interviews with your target audience. Social listening and sentiment analysis are two other ways to learn about your audience's emotions, mindsets, and what they care about. Twitter is a common listening space, and you can use Twitter's advanced search feature to create custom searches based on keywords and hashtags associated with therapies, medical terms, or clinical care issues that you're interested in exploring. You can specify relevant filters such as language, location, and date range to narrow down the results to tweets from different types of clinicians or specific regions, and then pay attention to their opinions, their insights, their recommendations or concerns and look for patterns or recurring themes. And sentiment analysis is another way that allows you to learn a little bit more about your audiences and and make that connection because sentiment analysis allows you to analyze free text natural language, that is the words and symbols that are used in social media messages. And you're really looking for positive, negative, or neutral terms. And again, Twitter is commonly used for sentiment analysis of healthcare tweets. And there are several open source or commercial tools that support sentiment analysis in the healthcare 
social media space. Tools like Centistrength, Textblob, and Topsy Pro, they all have great names. And as you can imagine, this is a space in which AI-powered tools are rapidly emerging. But be cautious because they're not all appropriate for analysis in the healthcare space. And as with any research method, both social listening and sentiment analysis have their disadvantages and ethical parameters that we have to wrap around their use. These tactics will help you really get to know your audience and keep them at the top of your mind so that you can help health professionals process, synthesize, and apply new information effectively in the relevant context. And so, only connect. You don't have to tattoo those words on your arm to connect more effectively with your clients, peers, and colleagues. There are some really practical steps that we can take to make sure that we're connected to each other and that we are connecting learners to content. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for being a Right Medicine listener. And until next time, go gently. If you're like me and see yourself as a lifelong learner who loves connection with other CME professionals, come and check out what Right Medicine offers in terms of community and courses. And I'd love to hear from you what you're interested in learning more about on the podcast. And if you like the podcast or a particular episode, consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or share with your colleagues and peers. There's a link in the show notes to help you do all of these things. See you next time.